Welcome to Dream Reality, New Earth Radio, empowering you to remember the choice is yours. I'm your host, Dr. Dream, and this is our co-host, Ilya Nabutovsky. And now, on with the show. Welcome, everyone. My name is Ilya Nabutovsky, and you're listening to Dream Reality, New Earth Radio. Dr. Dream is currently in uh, transit right now. He just left Costa Rica recently, um, and he is actually in Miami, and will be back um, tomorrow for our video broadcast. So I will be co-hosting the show um, Today and uh, today we have a very special guest. Her name is Cynthia Crawford. She is an ET sculptor, and um, I would just like to um, introduce her right now and um, have her say a few words about herself. Um, are you with us, Cynthia? I am. Thank you, Ilya. It's great being on your show. Uh, you I so guess much. first of all, what I really want to do is just kind of give a brief intro of of uh, my past, my life, um, I was born in 1949, a twin, and uh, shortly after I was born, um, of course, the doctors noticed that my uh, twin sister was having problems, so they, they had taken all kinds of tests on her, only to find out that we had totally different blood types and tissue types. By the time she was five years old, she was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy. And the doctors back in those days uh, were trying to experiment by taking muscle tissue. And since we were supposed to be twins, they were going to transplant the muscle tissue from my legs into hers to see if they could get her to grow muscle tissue. Unfortunately, because our muscle tissue was completely different, our tissue type and everything was different. They were unable to do that. My mother was never uh, told why we were so different. The doctors refused to speak to her about that. Um, so I would have to say that as a toddler, um, I had a very unusual life. I spent um, most of my toddler years being examined, at least for a few years, being examined at underground military bases. And every time I would try and tell my mother or my father what was going on, uh, my mother you know, really didn't believe me and used to say that I was imagining or having bad dreams. Uh, by the way, I wanted to also interject here. My father was in the Army and worked on a top-secret project in Korea that nobody could know about. And he was never allowed to tell anyone in the family, including my mother, uh, about it. And it was not until I was in my 30s that I found out part of what he was doing. So um, I'll get to that in just a little bit. But um, as a toddler, 
uh, again, I had these reoccurring experiences of being examined, not knowing why, and they would take me at night. Plus, I was told by my mother that in the morning she never knew where she was going to find me. I could be outside sleeping. I could be on the doorstep. I could be in a totally different room of the house. Uh, There were times that my mother was convinced I was a sleepwalker because I rarely was in the bed uh, in the morning. And I was the only one of of my two sisters that had this situation happen. Uh, Then when I became a teenager, uh, well, actually I'll say that as a child I had a terrible fear of nighttime. And I used to have a fear and remember and talk about little beings taking me out of my bed. And again, my mother said that was my imagination. But as I became a teenager, everything increased. But this time, um, I didn't have the military examinations. They had stopped uh, after a few years as a toddler. And uh, instead, I was finding myself taken up on ships an awful lot. And I would be uh, sleeping, and the next thing I know... I would feel myself being pulled up as if I went through the ceiling and out into the sky, the dark night, and sometimes I would see other people in the sky with me as we were going up into a ship. And that's all I would remember. And how often would that happen to you? Well, during my teen years, it seemed to happen quite frequently. I didn't quite understand what was going on. But the other thing that happened is that um, I had very psychic abilities. I could move objects with my mind. Uh, I also could could um, hear people talk, thinking. I thought they were speaking to me, and it wasn't until later on I found out um, that what I was actually experiencing was their thoughts. I could do telepathic communication. So I had a hard time growing up because as a teenager I was considered a freak because of these abilities. So I learned quite early on about how to um, not talk about it, for one, and I had to keep all my experiences of being on the ships quiet. Um, I do remember at the age of 16 I woke up a little over a block away from my house and I heard this noise behind me. I was in my... Back in those days, we wore baby doll pajamas. So mm. <laughs> I was in my baby doll pajamas. Um, and I turned around, and there was a huge person, being, standing behind me in a dark brown, blackish-looking, hooded cloak. And mm. it it seemed like he was very tall and thin. It just frightened me, so I ran all the way home. Wow, so um, now I I also know that uh, you had some near-death experiences that were quite remarkable. Um, Can you talk a little bit about those? Sure. Uh, Well, I didn't find out until later on in life that actually from the time I was born, I always had lung problems. And even as a toddler, I had gone into a coma a few times. So I had very sensitive lungs. Mm -hmm. Um, I think my very... First, I'm trying to remember back about my very first 
experience where I I was quite depressed as a child. I hate to admit it, but it was true. I was very different and treated as if I was a freak. So I was very depressed. I never felt like I belonged here. It was as if being around humans, and I, and I don't mean this in a bad way, so I hope it doesn't come off bad, but it was as if I never felt love. I didn't feel the comfort that I so desired as if I had remembered something totally different previously. Well, my very first experience was when I was 18, and um, I was extremely depressed, and I couldn't take it anymore. I was out of high school, and I had taken an overdose. Well, I took an entire bottle of aspirin, and I found myself within a few hours of taking it, I started bleeding. I bled in every opening of my body, and every time I'd go to the bathroom, nothing but blood would come out. I noticed then about, I don't know, maybe it was four to six hours later, I looked in the mirror at myself, and I had this horrible headache, and my eyes were bright red. The whites of my eyes were bleeding. Wow. So uh, it it was excruciating, but... I realized I was dying then. I was literally bleeding from the inside out. And then I went completely blind. So I uh, crawled to my bed and lay down on my bed thinking, well, at least I won't have to suffer anymore in a world that felt so foreign to me. The problem was I woke up the next morning completely healed, 100% healed. And I wouldn't understand or know why I was healed until I was in my 50s. Then my next healing occurred when, um, let's see, I was 29 years old. And, well, actually, I'll take that back. I was pregnant with my son. I had complications with my son, and I was very ill. I caught pneumonia very easily. And I had gone into a coma uh, for a short time while I was pregnant with my son. And when I came out, I was so weak I couldn't walk. Uh, And I was all alone. And um, my daughter at that time was just two years old. So I had nobody that I could call and ask for help. I remember waking up in the middle of the night in that condition. And I crawled over uh, to the sofa and lay down, and it was just a frightening experience. Right after that, within a few days of that, the water broke. I was five months pregnant, and my water broke. And the, I called the doctor, and the doctor said, I don't want to concern you, but you're not going to carry the baby, and you need to be prepared for that now, that you'll probably end up having to come to the hospital and will probably have to uh, do an abortion. And at that time, again, five months pregnant, that was a fairly sizable baby. Um, What happened, though, was the water stopped leaking, and I went to the hospital. I I blacked out, and when I woke up the next morning, it was interesting, the water had stopped leaking, and uh, I went to the doctor a few days later. He examined me and said, well, I find nothing wrong with your uterus. You must have just had a lot of pressure and need your pants (laughs) and uh, what happened though when my son was born they tried to 
Uh, well, I had so many complications that they had to take him a month early. And uh, they went ahead and did some blood tests to find out in case I hemorrhaged that they would um, have a backup unit. Well, they found out they couldn't find any blood to match mine because I have a, a very rare antigen in my blood. My blood isn't so rare as it is the antigen that is not common. There were only two other people on this planet that had this antigen. And if I did not get the blood with the antigen in it, it would kill me. It would cause me to have a coronary. Mm-hmm. So I had to sign papers releasing the doctors in the hospital from any responsibilities if I should die during surgery. Both of my babies, by the way, had to be born uh, cesarean section. Anyway, when they um, went ahead and took my son's cesarean, they found out I had a dry birth in which the doctors said that that was impossible, that I would have carried the baby another three months and he would have been born still healthy. It was a total dry birth. Mm. So, uh, and then the next thing that happened that was kind of miraculous was my twin sister passed away at the age of 29. And it was a very difficult thing to go through. So about three months after she passed away, I had come down with pneumonia again. And this time my lungs were collapsing. And the doctors were afraid to tell me for fear that I would think I was going to die if I went into the hospital because it was the same hospital my sister had died in just a few months before. Mm-hmm. So I know, it was a, a real hard <laughs> issue. Uh, but I had just started a brand new job, so I couldn't afford to um, go in and have tests done. They kept saying, of course, the excuse was, well, we've got to take x-rays and do some things to look at your lungs because there's a little problem there and we need to check it out. Well, I didn't want to lose this opportunity for a, a brand new job And so the next day I flew out of town for my job to start the training on the East Coast. And what happened was three days later I could no longer breathe and my lungs were collapsing. And uh, I remember going up, I was staying at a hotel at the time while I was in training and I had a hard time finding the room because I had only center point vision due to the lack of oxygen to my brain. Wow. So I finally made it in my room, laid down on the bed and thought, okay, this is it, I'm dead. And <laughs> I blacked out. I woke up the next morning completely healthy, as if I never had been sick. Hmm. I got back to Omaha and had called my mother, and my mother was just livid that I had been out of town and didn't tell her because she said the doctor was looking for me and said I was probably dead. And she had to be prepared for that because my lungs were collapsing. So they had they'd broken into my apartment and couldn't find me there or anything. So my mother insisted that I go see the doctor. I went to the doctor and he took x-rays of my lungs and called me into his office. And he sat down and he literally cried. And this is a doctor that I have lost contact with, and I would love to find him. So if anyone knows of a Dr. David Johansson that was an internal medicines doctor in Omaha, Nebraska, back in um, the 1970s, I'd really appreciate hearing from him. But anyway, 
he showed me the x-rays of my lungs before they had collapsed. Mm-hmm. And then he compared them to the x-rays that he had just taken of my lungs. And they were a completely different set of lungs. Wow, so what kind of lungs were they? Well, he actually said they were so pure that they it was as if they were brand new baby lungs. Wow, that's now, incredible. Yeah, because he said, see, all the scar tissue, like I told you, I've, I had um, most of my life I had problems with my lungs. I had so much scar tissue from pneumonia and uh, bronchitis and just everything. Plus, back in those days, it was one of those uh, people used to smoke a lot, not so much these days. So I smoked on and off. I wasn't a heavy smoker, but there were times when I would smoke, and then I'd quit for a few years and start again. So I happened to be smoking at the time that my lungs had collapsed, and when they showed the difference, in the x-rays, it showed where the tar and nicotine buildup was in the lungs, you know, from the the dark area. Right. And in the brand-new lungs, when I came back, there was absolutely no tar and nicotine in those lungs. Wow. So, they were, you said, yeah, you said that um, it, it wasn't until you were 50 that you actually discovered how you've been getting all these miraculous healings. So, can you talk a little bit about how these healings happen to you? Sure. Um, well, first, before uh, I do that, I want to also tell you that I was in my 40s before mm-hmm. I began began having conscious contact. I had to give up fear because you know how we we read a lot of books or watch a lot of TV or movies and they always make the aliens, the ETs, look <laughs> bad and evil uh, excepting for the movie E.T. So right. there was a lot of fear that I had. And so when I finally decided to have conscious contact, I did a lot of begging, actually. I would lay in bed at night and I would telepathically communicate and tell them I wanted to have conscious contact and that I promised not to be afraid. And this went on for three weeks. And finally, the first E.T., which happened to be a brown being, and I still to this day don't know what kind it is other than I can describe it perfectly, and they do have suction cups on the ends of their fingers and their toes, and they stand upright like a human. However, they have three fingers and three toes. They have a fairly large head, very, very thin, lean body, long neck, their head dents in halfway down in the back and then comes out slightly and then goes back in into the long, slender neck. The eyes are gold with black slits. And when he appeared to me, it was almost like watching a Star Trek movie, is all I can tell you. Because he it just suddenly, as I'm begging for it to appear or someone to appear, it materialized as if... I was watching a being from Star Trek um, appearing in my room. And it stood beside my bed. And it was so afraid that I would be afraid of it. He was so concerned, is probably what I should say, that he lowered his eyes and 
all of a sudden I felt this immense love, a love that I had never felt while being on earth. And it was so incredible that i got to be honest, it was like I couldn't help but love him back. It was that beautiful, that special, that pure. And he literally... um, he stood there, and I told him telepathically, because all the communication was telepathic. And I said, oh, I'm not afraid of you. You're beautiful. I love you. And that's what I told him. I said, I love you. You're beautiful to me. And then I asked him if I could hold his hand, if I could feel his skin. And he literally rolled out these three really long fingers with the (laughs) suction cups on the end and he allowed me to hold his hand and to feel it and I was it was glove leather soft and there was so much love and compassion radiating out of him it was like nothing I had ever experienced it was so incredible if I could have hugged him I probably would have Hmm. but I didn't know if that would be allowed you know (laughs) but it was that incredible um, then after that, I began having contact on a fairly regular basis. So when I first found out why I had been healed, it happened when my husband and I were in um, Oaxaca, Mexico. And I had picked up some kind of a virus. Even though I didn't drink their water, I still picked up some kind of a virus. And I got quite ill. The first time I got sick only lasted for maybe one or two days. And the second time, it was excruciating pain. And because I had had a major accident uh, in 1993 where my, my I had a lot of broken bones and uh, lost a third of my brain and had all kinds of other problems, um, I still had problems sleeping on surfaces that weren't really soft. So the beds in Oaxaca where we traveled, and we traveled uh, all over the whole state of Oaxaca. But anyway, they were just horrible. So this one particular night, I I had not slept for about two weeks. At the most, I would sleep maybe an hour a night or two hours at the most. So I was quite tired, quite drained, and I'd been so ill that I just didn't want to be here anymore. So... I started telepathically communicating with the ETs and with my my guides and with God, the creator source, and begging that they let me go, that I had done the things they wanted me to do, and that I spoke up and spoke of their love, that now it was time for me to, to die, to just leave. And I didn't know what death was then. I just knew that I didn't want to be here on earth anymore. And what happened was, instead, I was immediately pulled into the etheric realm where I was met by a council of five beings, all of them humanoid, most of them looking like humans. There were some that were hybrids that uh, I remember a woman that was completely bald and had a beautiful head for being bald and very, very large eyes, and they were dressed differently, but the main person that seemed to be in charge of the group of five was a man, very human-looking, who had white hair that was kind of a crew cut, and he had a goatee. And he said to me, 
You cannot die. Why do you think we have kept you alive all these years? You have agreed to a mission, which is why you're on earth. And then he showed me, you know, it's kind of like going back, looking at pictures back in time, from the time I was born up until that point where all the numerous times I had been ill and should have died or times that I had been in an accident or almost to have an accident where all of a sudden the vehicle I was in literally um, became transparent and I was glided out of harm's way and my life was spared. I mean, it was unbelievable what I had gone through. They showed me all this and then they told me that I had agreed to be born into a hybrid body. And I'm a hybrid, by the way. And I did find out when I was in my 30s from my father that he had agreed to allow the government to experiment. Had my mother impregnated with a hybrid baby and my mother was not allowed to know, so they had drugged her when she was impregnated. What they didn't know was that she was also going to get pregnant with my twin. So, uh, do you want me to carry on? Yeah, absolutely. And um, can you uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about, um, uh, like, what are, you know, you're saying you're a hybrid, uh, but what do you mean, you know, what kind of DNA do you actually have that makes you a hybrid? Well, you know, when they created me, they used Zeta DNA, Anunnaki DNA, and then, of course, human. It wasn't until I was older that another person that knew how to do DNA told me that I'm 34% of my DNA is human, 28% is Zeta, and 38% is Anunnaki. So what my father, unfortunately, because when my father was telling me about being created by the government and so forth, I was I was livid about it. I didn't want to hear that because I'd spent my whole life being brought up by a mother who was very, very strong Christian. And even though her and my father were divorced when I was quite young, it was that I had always lived with this conviction that there was something evil about me because I was different from everyone else in my family. Because of my psychic abilities, my mother used to always say that it was the devil in me that made me this way. And so I tried so hard to be a good Christian at that time in order that I could be accepted by others and be loved by others. If they could see that I was really a good person, maybe someone would love me. But... um, So I found out later that my father, uh, after my father had died, my mother told me, and he died not shortly after uh, he told me all this. And my mother told me the truth then. She said, uh, all I know, well, actually the truth according to her, because she didn't know what he was involved in. She wasn't allowed to know. But I said, Mom, when you got pregnant with Sandy and I, can you tell me, Um, do you remember getting pregnant? 
And she says, well, I remember your father had a meeting with some men and they had convinced him to go back into the Army. He had been in the Army Air Force back in the 40s and um, he had agreed. He was six months away from getting his uh, doctor's degree. He was in med school and he was going to... um, He had already started doing some internship and he was six months away from getting his degree when he met these men, dropped out of school, and after we were born, he then left. Almost right after we were born, he went into the Army and went to work on a top-secret project. I later found out that there were a lot of alien devices, what they called alien devices, found on downed ships. And some of these ships, with their alien devices, this was a medical ship that they used to uh, take people to and do all kinds of medical work on them. So uh, the ship that had crashed, they took took it to Korea, And during the Korean War, there were men that had been severely wounded. So because nobody knew how to use these alien tools, my father, having gone through med school, and other doctors agreed to work on this top-secret project where they were using these alien tools and trying to see how they heal people. There were people in Korea that should have died that were miraculously healed by these tools. And that's about as much as I know about it. Since my father passed away, there were times that my father has... He's communicated with me in certain ways to let me know you know, that he was aware of my awakening, of, of my experiences that I've been having and so forth. Mm. So I've had um, quite a bit to learn and to actually embrace so that I could actually give up my anger, my fear, and learn to embrace the star people and love them unconditionally. I have experienced so many awesome, wonderful beings but well, when I, going back to when uh, I was in Oaxaca, Mexico, mm-hmm. and uh, amongst the Council of Five, and they showed me how many times they had saved my life and how they had replaced all of my vascular system in my body when I was 18, how they had healed and replaced my lungs, and then they went on to tell me that because of my mission, and I'm not alone, there are thousands and thousands of people on this planet who are here to help humanity. And these people have had miraculous healings by these star people. And that is the most important thing that I can actually say. I am so thankful I've gotten to learn this and to be able to share it and to meet numerous people who have also been healed by their 
star family, to keep them here to do the work they're meant to do to help humanity. Uh, that's absolutely amazing, and I want to thank you so much for sharing that. Now, um, I want to go into um, your sculptures and just talk a little bit about how you got into sculpting these beings and how um, you know how to sculpt and what to sculpt. Okay. Um, well, actually, when... Um, boy... Back in 1999, I married my current husband, and um, I was kind of bored because he didn't want me to work, and so I took some classes uh, to learn how to throw pots. My husband is a plant collector, and I wanted to make specialty designer planters. So I took some classes to learn, and um, the classes were overbooked. There was about 10 students too many. So I wasn't on the wheel very often, and I'm not a pushy kind of person. I'm kind of one of those people that I let everybody go ahead of me. So I was one of the the last and the few to ever get to use the wheel. Uh, So I would be bored there in class. So I started taking some clay one day, and I made a sculpture of an E.T. baby that I saw when I was on a mothership in 1997, um, by the way, I had a brain tumor uh, in 1997 and had given up wanting wanting to live because I had gone through six surgeries just prior to that. So I just wanted to say goodbye to my star family one more time before I died because I decided I wasn't going to have surgery. I was just going to go ahead and take my life because I didn't see any purpose in being here. Well, they instead, a transporter ship came down and got me and took me to a mothership where I got to experience uh, several of these humanoids or human people, I shouldn't say humanoids, but beings in human containers Mm -hmm. that were being healed so that they could do their special work on Earth. These were beings, people, that had cancer and some that had AIDS and some that had other diseases that were on this mothership and they were using frequency to heal them. So after that experience, um, you know, I uh, remembered, you know, also seeing some hybrid babies that were in these little incubators there on the Mm -hmm. mothership. So getting back to when I was taking these classes, with the extra clay, I started making an ET hybrid baby. And that's how it really began. A few of the people in class thought it was, you know, kind of disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, interestingly enough, my teacher at that time, who was from Japan, really was enthralled with the uh, sculpture and convinced me I needed to continue sculpting more. So I started sculpting other beings and the next thing I knew I actually was hearing a voice speak to me telepathically telling me how to make them. So I would bring some of these sculptures to class and my teacher would fire them because at that time I didn't have a kiln. 
So he would fire them. And one day my teacher even took me aside and said, would you stay after class so that I can ask you something? And what happened was I found out that this Japanese teacher, where he lived in Japan, he and his brother had experiences with ships coming down. Wow. Yeah. So he wanted to ask me all kinds of questions. And his brother even came in town from Japan, but his brother didn't speak any English. So my teacher was the interpreter. And I got to to talk to his brother and find out about the experiences they had had and, and see if he remembered contact. And then, you know, I helped them give up fear of contact so that they could actually experience contact. And then from there, I just went on uh, I when I was done with that class, I went on and began making even more and more sculptures. So it was quite exciting. At first, um, while I was going to an experiencer group, and people were all sharing their experiences they had with UFOs or ETs and so forth, I, uh, you know, would uh, bring some of these sculptures, and it was amazing how many people could actually experience them and, and actually tell about their experiences with that particular being or recognizing them. And um, excepting there was one, I have to admit. There was one that nobody really cared that much for. They said he looked too human. Which one was that? That was the Syrian warrior of light. Huh. And I said, well, well, he's a Syrian. And they said, no, Cynthia, it looks like somebody from the 1960s. I mean, <laughs> I'm sorry, the 1600s. Uh, from the 1600s, that back in the days where they wore those blousey shirts, you know, and <laughs> yeah. uh, they had kind of longish hair in the 1600s, and um, more like the knight type people, you know, right. the knights in armor and so forth like that. So um, they kind of laughed. A few of them laughed at me and said, "No, Cynthia, that's a human. You did not make a Syrian. They don't look like that." I mean, after all, Sheldon Nettle says they all have horse faces. <laughs> I know. So I said, well, no, wait a minute. You know, here uh, on every planet, you know, you've got to realize, look how many different human beings there are on Earth and how some have totally different, I mean, you've got the Orientals, you've got the Blacks, you've got the Nordics, you've got the... Um, You've got people with uh, Spanish. You've got, um, let's see, Australian, the uh, Aborigines. Yeah. You've got a lot of the different um, ethnic groups uh, around the world that all have their own different looks. And it was quite incredible because to think that because uh, one Syrian might have a horse-like face, <laughs> doesn't mean all of them do. Right. Well, they're all different. In fact, I've met so many different ones, even Zetas. You know, everybody used to think years ago that all Zetas were gray and short, and then they started saying, oh, no, others have been experiencing them as gray and tall, and then others began experiencing the the tall white Zetas, and how about the ones they call the orange Zetas? And so forth. So there's so many different types of Zetas, and there's mixtures. Oh my gosh! As much as as the human race has 
uh, inner bread, so too have many of the beings of the universe. There's so many different types of hybrids, and they're awesome, and they're wonderful. In fact, um, talking about hybrids, I've got a cute little story. Is it okay if I share the story about one of my clients that has a, uh, a sculpture and his little daughter? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Well, I have a client, and I won't give names, but um, he's from, uh, well, he's Chinese, and... Um, he insisted, he had never had contact before, but he happened to see me on Project Camelot's website. And he had gone and listened to everybody because one morning what happened was a voice woke him up and said, wake up, it's time to read about the ETs and the UFOs. And he had never had interest in that. And this guy was a big corporate guy. That's all I can say, because I don't want to give away his identity, but he's he he was a very, very well-known corporate businessman. Anyway, and so he, uh, he began going, he Googled on the Internet, as the voice told him, and he went to Project Camelot, listened to all their speakers, and wouldn't you know it, he waited and had me listen to me last because he said, well, it's a woman, so she probably doesn't have much to say. (laughs) (laughs) And when he was listening to me and watching me and saw the sculptures, he began vibrating. And he had never had that experience. So he contacted me on my website and said, I need to talk to you. May I call you? So I gave him my phone number and I... I do give my phone number out um, primarily because I want to help people who have had contact, to understand the contact, and especially those who have had bad experiences so that we can figure out why these experiences occurred and how to empower themselves so they don't happen again and so that all their experiences are good experiences then. So anyway, he saw a couple sculptures that he wanted and he chose to get... Um, and these were the children, the, the Nephilim child and the Andromedan child. And I told him, I said, you know, you need to just get one of them. This is your first time. Why don't you just get one of them? And he said, nope, I want two of them. I want one of each. And he said, and I want you to ship them out express mail. Well, he happened to, happened to be at a convention when he had me ship them to his hotel room, which was kind of a bad idea in one way because what happened was as soon as he got the box, he started vibrating. Mm. And he continued vibrating. And I got really worried because he would call me two or three times a day. And this is a week-long conference he was going to. And um, so here he is telling me that he can't stop vibrating what's going on And I had to tell him, I said, well, when you first get these sculptures, what happens is, uh, first of all, I channel the beings. They come through my body and into the sculptures so that each sculpture has the frequency of the being in there so that that being can assist the person in awakening to who they are. I was also told by my ET guides that only the star seeds would be drawn to these sculptures and would buy them, for they needed to wake up 
to remember why they're here on earth and what they need to do in the future. So what happened with this gentleman was uh, I had to call a psychologist friend of mine and I explained the situation to him. And so we did a um, conference call and I we had to walk him through how to ground himself. Well, what happened after that, he began quickly having telepathic communication. It took him a little while to understand it because, you know, when you first start having contact, sometimes you get really excited and you don't always hear. You've got to relax and allow yourself to hear what they're saying. And you can't have fear. You must release fear. So he would have telepathic communication with them. And eventually, within a month, he was going on the ships. And then he began going to meetings on the ships. And his mm. wife told him, when he first brought those sculptures home, she said, do not talk ETs to the children. I don't want them to know anything about them. Because she didn't necessarily believe in all this and didn't want them exposed to it. Mm-hmm. So he had a 3-year-old at that time and an 11-year-old, and they were girls. And um, one morning the 3-year-old girl woke up and came into the kitchen right before he went to work. And she was all smiles, and he'd asked her, he said, you look like you're happy. Did you have a good night? And she said, yes, Daddy, I went to E.T.'s birthday party. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. And then occasionally she would talk, you know, about um, at nighttime seeing the the E.T.'s, and so, you know, they tried to uh, not say too much about it because he didn't want to get in trouble for his daughters, mm-hmm. even though... He never spoke to them about them, but they were allowed to hold the sculptures uh, once in a while. Well, then about, I think it was about six months later, his oldest daughter, 11 years old, came in to talk to him in private, and she said, Daddy, i got to ask you a question. And he said, what's that, sweetheart? And she said, Daddy, what is a hybrid? And see, this gentleman knew I was a hybrid, So he said, are you talking about a hybrid as in people? And she said, yes, Daddy. And he said, well, a hybrid is someone that's part human and part of another race from a group of beings from other worlds. Why do you ask, darling? And she said, well, Daddy, when I go on the ships, I get to play with all these hybrid children, and they're so nice, they're so much fun, and they treat me so good. They're not like the humans here. He said, here, where she goes to school in America, she's teased a lot because she's Chinese, and she's not always treated with respect. So she said, the ones that are the hybrids, they love me, Daddy, and they play with me, and they're always nice. Isn't that sad to think that even a child says, that beings from other worlds treat them better than humans on Earth. Wow, um, that is just an incredible story. And, I mean, it just goes to show how easy it is for children to open up to this kind of information. And, um, you know, it's it's so natural for them to, you know, be telepathic and 
communicate with beings from other worlds. Oh, yes. And and you know something? The children love these sculptures, too. But they're made of hydrochel, so they they can be breakable. So I do tell people, I say, well, you know, since they're, they're breakable, you have to tell the children that it's best if they sit down when they're holding them. Well, what's interesting was I was one of the vendors at the International UFO Congress this last February in Scottsdale, Arizona. And um, it just so happened that my webmaster and his assistant came to the conference because they were curious what it was like. And his assistant ended up taking... Uh, the Andromedan, one of the Andromedan children home because she has an 11-year-old son. I guess 11 is a very common age where they have <laughs> a lot of fun. And um, he wanted a different sculpture that he really was drawn to, but that sculpture had already been sold. So I said, you know what, just take the Andromedan child to him, let him play with it and see if he likes it. And if he likes it, you know, you can buy it, pay me later for it. So interestingly enough, I'm driving home that night, and I had others that were driving with me to the conference that were vendors, and um, I get a phone call on my cell phone while I'm driving. And, you know, sometimes people will dial the wrong number, and here's this little boy on the phone, and I called in, uh, he'd called, and I didn't get to my phone fast enough, so I called the number back to see who it was and and if it was something really important I needed to take. And this little boy's on the phone and he goes, yeah, I wanted to talk to you. And I said, well, I think you have the wrong number. And he says, no, my mommy told me I could call you. She told me to call you and to tell you uh, uh, about, um, about the sculpture. And I said, oh, okay, well, you must be the little boy that, and I mentioned the woman's name. Um, and I said, you must be her son. And he said, yes. And I said, okay, well, tell me about it. And he says, well, did you know they walk? And I said, well, you know, I've heard all kinds of things from people. I've heard people say they've, they've seen the sculptures walk, talk, and move, move their head and things like that. But why don't you tell me what happened to you? And this is the first night the boy had this sculpture. And he said, well, we stopped off at the store and Mommy wouldn't let me take my sculpture inside because she was afraid I'd drop it or I might put it down and forget it. So she made me keep it in the back seat. And When we were done shopping, I got in the back seat and the sculpture was gone. And I, I yelled to my mom. I said, Mom, Mom, it's gone. It, the sculpture's gone. And Mom got in her seat and she looked over and there it was sitting beside her in the front seat. And said, did you know it walked to the front seat? (laughs) 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 It was the cutest thing. And since then, I've had other people tell me about their kids. And the, oh, my God, they have so much fun with these. And some of the kids, this is what really blew me away. One of the women was a grandmother, or is a grandmother, and her three-year-old toddler little girl um, kept picking up the blue lady and wanting to hold the blue lady. Well, when the little girl would lay down and take a nap, there were times when the little girl would stand up in bed and start talking as if she was an adult, but she was speaking a language not of this earth. Wow. They, yeah. 
And um, many, this has happened to many, many people, not just children, adults as well, find themselves speaking in other languages and they're remembering who they are. And it's it's exciting to hear them. I get calls all the time. These sculptures, by the way, go all over the world. They go to, everywhere. To I've had them actually. One went to China, and I know people say, oh, you don't want to send them to China. They'll make cheap uh, replicas of them. But they can't do what these sculptures do. Uh, but anyway, um, I've also had them go to Australia, Germany, Denmark, Sweden, Switzerland, uh, lots of them go to to England. Um, only one went to South America, though, because I guess South America isn't as much into that. I'm well, maybe really they sure, just um, haven't. Maybe they just haven't heard um, about your sculptures as opposed to other countries. That's that's probably true, um, but I have gotten. Oh my gosh, I've had attorneys order these. Doctors, um, I've had accountants, people that were in had government offices. I mean, when I say government offices, I had one person that worked for the UN even mm. get a sculpture. Well, get several sculptures, but I've had people from all over the world and all walks of life get these sculptures, and it's amazing the stories I hear from people. I, I mean, I could write probably a novel. Um, about all these different experiences that people share with me, it's just fabulous. That is that is fabulous. And um, as long as we're on the subject of kids, um, uh, let's talk a little bit about the indigos and the crystal children that are coming in and already here now, and how they are so valuable and so important to the shift um, to the, into the new paradigm that's happening right now. Oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, um, I have to admit, I've even had teenagers contact me and tell me that their parents won't allow them to talk about UFOs or ETs, that it's, um, because many of them have come from quite religious backgrounds, and some of them have no one to talk to, so they'll email me, and of course I'll give them my number and we talk, and we talk, but... Let, let me tell you, this is the interesting thing about these young ones. And as you know, Ilya, and I'm sure you you know what I'm about to say, but most of these young people who are as awake and aware are very spiritual people. Some of them have been born into families where the parents have um, been drug addicts, or some of them have been born into families where um, they've it's been abusive and kids have had to find ways to survive the abuse they've gone through. And they know that it's for no other reason than to make them stronger so that in the future they will be able to be powerful enough. And interestingly enough, these kids do not hold it against their parents. They understand their parents' addictions and so forth. But what's great about them, most of these young people who are coming in are very highly evolved. Many of them are masters who have come in at this time 
in humanity, this time that we're living in, where they are going to take a lot of responsibility and change this world for the better. They are here to make this world what it needs to be. They come in with unconditional love. And I will say this, uh, many people who have contacted me who are in their 20s and 30s, I have found something very interesting. A large number of them have been adopted. Mm. And a few of them I've talked to. They don't even know who their parents were. I had one gentleman contact me who, as a toddler, was found out in a field. Nobody could find his parents. And they brought him in, and they adopted him out. Wow. And this is not uncommon for these children to be adopted. Um, I have one guy that... It was really cute. Uh, I won't mention his name, but he lives on the East Coast, and he's a young man, very gorgeous young man, I might add, and um, he ordered an Andromedan sculpture, uh, uh, the Andromedan head um, of the adult. And we decided to Skype one day, because he had questions, and so I would get to see him face-to-face, and he would see me. And as he's talking to me, I noticed his hands. Now, dig this. This is so cool. (laughs) Not only did he have some features very similar to the Andromeda adults, he had the hands of the Andromedans. How do you mean? Very, very long, abnormally long, thin fingers. And I said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. Because he was talking and he was moving his hand around. I said, you've got the hands of an Andromedan. And then I learned he was adopted. And nobody could tell him who his parents were. Wow, what an amazing story. Oh, yeah, it's wonderful. And I even have clients who buy sculptures and their children... For example, one of them was uh, or is a woman who has a son that she adopted, and he was born with with uh, some problems. He had what the doctors called a step above autistic, and he was having problems getting communicating with people. And so we started working with him. She, he liked her sculptures, so she gave him one of her sculptures. And this is a child that's 10 years old. And then he started confiding in her confiding in her that he was having various ETs come to visit him at night and he said also he said but mom mommy I can't sleep at night sometimes because they come and they want to play and so she told me she said I'm kind of worried because he doesn't sleep very well because that's when they want to play with him and they want to visit him and I said okay Well, we've got to teach him how to empower himself. So what I did was I also make these ET necklaces. So I took one of the um, Zeta, uh, the tall white Zeta necklace that's just the face of the Zeta, and I made it into like a token, and I sent it to him, and I said, this is going to give you special powers. And I said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to hold 
a token in your hand when the beings come to you at night and you want to sleep, and I want you to tell them, I am the boss here. When you come to visit me, you live by my rules. So no playing at night. If you want to play with me, then you wait till I wake up in the morning or you wait till I come home from school, and then we'll play. What's really interesting is we're also teaching the children already how to work with the light of source to empower themselves and how to love unconditionally. Not only does that empower them, it teaches them how they can actually use their their special psychic abilities and talents because they can manifest anything they want when they use this, You working with the light and love. Yes, absolutely. Um, I see, you know, so many stories of kids going up on ships and, you know, they get uh, actual actual training from a lot of these different beings about all types of subjects, mathematics, physics, um, you know, different languages, and, and just like you said, how to work with the light of source. Absolutely. It's phenomenal. And I yes. have to say that every time I get visited by young people, that are um, 30 and under, and I get more people in their teens and 20s, some in their 30s, but a lot of them in their 20s, that want to come over. If they live in the area, they want to come over and they want to talk to me. So, um, And some of them, uh, fortunately, have jobs where they, you know, once in a while get the days off, uh, or maybe they will work for one week and then have one week off and so forth. And um, we get to share stories and experiences, and they tell me all these different things that they know, and I'm just absolutely amazed because here I am. I'm 61 years old, and I feel like they've got so much more information, so much more knowledge and and abilities, and I'm just in awe of them. And they are, they know. I mean, many of them have started out even when they were quite young, knowing instinctively how to meditate. And they started off being very spiritual. And they embrace, embrace the spiritualism so incredibly. And they're so devoted to it. I just love being around them. I would rather... Uh, be around them than people my own age. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> but they're they're so much fun and and they teach me so much. I just love it. Um, I have one of the young friends that's in her twenties who was sharing experiences while she was in Sedona, um, and she'd taken a couple of uh, the sculptures with her uh, while camping out, and and she said there were ships all around her, and she said. Several of them were talking through the sculptures telepathically to her. And, you know, it's so such a refreshing thing to see these young people not afraid of contact. For if people truly knew our connection with the star people, knew how we were all connected or are all connected, even to the source, the creator, God, whatever you want to call it, we're all connected, and it's phenomenal. 
I just love it. Many of the uh, people, too, by the way, um, wow, I've got so many stories I'd love to share with you, but um, people will tell me stories about healings they've had where when they've gotten the sculpture, it's not like the sculpture heals them, but the beings come through the sculpture and have performed incredible healings. In fact, you know, there are some people that say they don't like the mantises because the mantises are scary, they say. And yet, I've had people tell me how the mantis beings will appear in the room and they will even dance with them. They love certain music. And I've got a friend who channels music from the ETs and so he writes the music and he'll literally, he bought some equipment not knowing how to run it and he'll go into a trance and he'll completely do the music on this instrument and make all kinds of noise and even you'll hear some of the ETs coming through and talking through the music. It's so cool. <laughs> and um, people just have to learn to to lighten up. <laughs> Enjoy the ETs. Enjoy the star people. They're awesome. I don't care if they're Zetas or if they're Mantis beings or if they're human-looking. It doesn't matter what they look like. Arcturians, if they've got blue skin, green skin, you know, the one thing that they will respond to react to is our ability to send them unconditional love. So I tell people when they get these sculptures and they want to have communication, I tell them, I said, the first thing you've got to do is give up fear, prejudice, judgment. Because that will keep you from having contact. And you also have to be able to love yourself unconditionally. For unless you can do that, you cannot love others unconditionally. So once I teach them about that, and it's a very simple thing, and I tell them, like I've even had some people say, well, what happens if a a bad ET comes to me? How do I deal with the bad ET? And I said, well, what do you mean by bad? And they said, well, you know, a negative one, one that could hurt you. And I said, well, the first thing you have to understand is how to be in power. So you have to bring the light of source in through and imagine it coming through the universe like a beam of light coming from the source into the crown chakra and then bring that light down through the body into the heart chakra. Fill the heart up with light and then fill the rest of the body up with light and surround your body in the light. And I said, and I tell them also that in order to love unconditionally, you feel this unconditional love in your heart for self. And then what you do is you share that love by sending it from your heart chakra to their heart chakra. And if it's an entity, an ET that has bad intentions, simply by surrounding that ET with the light and sending them love from your heart chakra to theirs, it lends them powerless over you. And everyone I've told this to that have had problems with negative entities trying to harass them at night, the harassment stops immediately and never returns. Yes, and I love 
um, when you say that, you know, if there is a negative service-to-self-oriented being, if you can be love and send that frequency out, that being has no power because, you know, love truly is the answer. And, you know, um, it's amazing to just uh, hear affirmation after affirmation that all you really need is love. That's right. The other thing that I have to tell you the other thing I have to tell you is that um, I got I had a very awesome experience this last summer in that I woke up and found myself surrounded by a lot of these beings that are that people say are of the dark. Some were reptilian, some were draconian. There was one that was very hairy, black, black hair, red eyes and a few others that were very unusual-looking that always play the bad guys. And what they told me was that they have agreed in this lifetime to be the bad guy in order that they can learn to... um, in in order that they can learn um, to discern between good and bad. You know, because this is the important thing that happens is that um, there is no lesson. This is as they explained it to me. There is no lesson if everything was good. We cannot ascend if everything is perfect. Therefore, the only way we're going to learn and to ascend in our spiritual growth is by having challenges. So they've agreed in this lifetime to play the bad guy. But the other thing I found out from them was that not just anyone can play the bad guy. They said that it's taken people or beings, I'm sorry, beings who have become very highly evolved, very, very highly evolved beyond masters, even beyond being masters, before they can actually play the bad guy Hmm. for... If you didn't like being a bad guy, you would have a hard time, even though you know it's for their lessons. So you have to be very, very strong, you know, and determine at that. Yes. um, And it was a great experience because after they taught me that, the other thing that happened was that um, we ended up actually embracing Oh, there was another funny thing that happened. I've got to tell you this. I'm looking at them. I'm looking at their skin, right? I'm yeah. looking at especially those that have the hairy skins or the, the ones that have the reptilian-like skins and some of the draconians, and we're comparing the way we look, and I'm going, wow, some of these reptilians had the most awesome colors, almost uh, pearlescent-looking colors to them. Um, like greens and browns and uh, golds and all kinds of things. And I, I found them very colorful and so forth. So then when, um, after I looked at their hands and especially the the long fingernail claws on, on the reptilians and so forth, and I said, wow, those are really some nails you've got there. Then they started looking at my arms and my fingernails and they said, well, you're very simple. I was boring to them because my body is simple. It's very plain. I don't have these exciting 
uh, nails or different colors to my body. I'm not all tattooed. And by the way, I learned something else very important. A lot of people who tattoo their bodies, Mm -hmm. they don't realize this, but they're remembering who they were before they came here. And they remember all these different colors and designs in the scales and the texture of their body. And the only way they can feel connected is by tattooing their bodies so they feel like their self. Isn't well, that I've, awesome? Yeah, I've never heard anybody say that, but um, it does make sense on on a level, especially because I know a lot of people like to tattoo themselves with scales and all types of, uh, you know, reptilian kind of uh, qualities, and I've never thought about it like that before. I was surprised, but when in seeing many of these different beings, I mean, we, unfortunately, here on Earth, very few people have gotten to see as many different wide variety of beings there are, and they're awesome. And, you know, once you learn how to get along with them and understand them, and they all understand love. Yes. And many of them, by the way, also, when you communicate with them, you communicate with pictures. For example, on my website, I have a picture of the Katasa Hyan. Mm-hmm. And that, the Katasa Hyan, it's the the uh, beings that are kind of short um Sometimes they're kind of a, a greenish gray color, and there's some that are kind of a golden color. Right. And uh, yeah, well, I actually had a Katasa Hyan ship land behind my house, uh, right in front of the mountain last summer, June first. This was so awesome! Oh my gosh, Elia, it was exciting. I found myself outside. I thought I was dreaming this. Because you know how when you have these dreams, a lot of times when we're in the etheric realms, we think we're dreaming, but we're actually experiencing it in a higher dimension. Yeah. So here I was in the backyard thinking that I was just dreaming it. And um, this door, a doorway appears. And I can't explain how that happens, but it's just like... Almost as if you you see no door there. It's just like this hole appears and gets bigger. And there's this Katasa Hyan, and they're only about three feet tall. And he's all excited. He's just like one of those excited little toddlers and, and his arms flailing, you know. And, and he's telling <laughs> me through pictures how he was so happy that people were ordering sculptures of them. For they couldn't wait till the time when humans gave up their anger and their fear and hatred and prejudices so that they could actually talk to us. They can't wait to be able to talk to us and share their knowledge with us. And while the, the this little one was standing in the doorway, I noticed two others were peeking out. They're very shy. Were peeking out beyond the doorway, and they were kind of scared to come out. But this Katasa Hyan that spoke to me was one that actually appeared in my house the very first time I made one. And he came through a portal. I've got a portal in my house, and I've got also a a vortex on my property, several portals actually on the property too. But it's just awesome. They're so sweet, so adorable, so exciting. And sometimes I even had one guy who got a katasa high, and I gave it to him and said, here, experience this for about three weeks, 
and then afterwards tell me what you think of it. And this is a hypnotherapist who had not had contact that he knew of, and I thought this would be a good chance for him to experiment with it. Well, I went and talked to his group of people that went to this meeting, and interestingly enough, what had happened was uh, he had left the Katasa Hayan on the table. So while I was packing up some of the sculptures, uh, I sold probably half the sculptures I brought with me, and, and I was taking maybe half of them home, a little less than half. And that sculpture was there, and so I said, well, are you done with it? And he said, yeah. So I put it in my car. Now, needless to say, I had had very few experiences with my own with the sculptures I make communicating with me. So here I am driving home, and all of a sudden, telepathically, I hear this voice going, I don't want to be here. I want to go back. I want to go back now. I don't want to be here. And it was the Katasa Hayan whining like a little child. Saying, I don't want to be here. So I wouldn't bring him in that night. I got home and I left him in the car. I said, you know, if you're going to be complaining like that, I won't be able to sleep. So you're staying in the car. The next day I called up this this uh, hypnotherapist and I said, hey, uh, didn't you like the Katasa Hayan? He goes, oh, I loved him. I had some great experiences with him. And he said, I'll have to share that with you sometime. And I said, well, tell me something. How about if we do a trade? I'll give you that Katasa Hayan, and you can do some hypnosis on me. And he goes, okay, you got a deal. I waited till he got him back before I told him <laughs> that he complained all the way home. <laughs> <laughs> It seems like a lot of the beings seem to really embody the childlike qualities. Yeah, and you know something it reminds me when I when I had been a very devout Christian, even though I'm not I I'm not into Christianity, but I am into I'm a very spiritual person. But one of the things that um I remember a, a parable that Jesus said in the Bible about be ye like children and I don't remember what all it was but something about the children and now I understand for the children are the innocent ones who love unconditionally for they have not been taught to be prejudiced and bitter yet they have not gotten to the adult stage yet where they can be so angry and so forth so I have to tell you I love I love these beings. I love the kata. I just love them all. They're adorable. I just wish I had many, 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 many more lifetimes where I could be with them. And I can't wait until this lifetime is over so I can be with them again because they're so awesome. They're just so much fun. I want to so badly go to a planet where there's all these different varieties and just experience them. And the thing that I really love about the children is that they're able to be in the moment and have fun, you know, and not think about what can go wrong and, you know, what's going to happen in the future, you know, thinking about the past. They're in the moment and they're enjoying it and they're full of love. And and I feel oh, like yeah. that's what, you know, that's what we're moving into. And that's one of the things that the children can really teach us is how to be in the moment and just enjoy ourselves. Yes. And you know, the other thing that I have to say about these beings, 
I had to learn that you don't have to hug them. Like here on Earth, when humans show love, they hug, right? Yeah. With them, all they have to do is send the love from the heart chakra, and oh my gosh, it's the most incredible experience I have ever had. I remember one time I was allowed to walk amongst the Zumazetta, which Mm -hmm. are the aquatic beings that are very similar to the dolphins. Um, Mm -hmm. They have dolphin skin, but they stand upright like a human, and they have webbed hands and webbed feet, and they're just pure love. And when they were trying to teach me that one aspect of myself was a Zumazetta, and they were trying to get me to remember it, they took me to this place, and there was, oh boy, at least a dozen or more of them standing, and I walked amongst them, and they were all sending me love at once. And it felt as if all of them were hugging me, even though they not not once did they touch me. I was so overwhelmed with this incredible love. It's phenomenal. Wow, I could I could just feel it coming from your voice as you tell the story. Um, now I just wanted to uh, mention uh, you were talking about um, this uh, this kid that you said was adopted, and we have a listener. His name is Nathan. And he and I don't know if this is who you were talking about, but um, Nathan uh, Eberly, I believe his, is how you pronounce his last name. Uh, he's listening to the show, and um, yeah, is that the, the the person that you were talking about? Yes, I love Nathan. He's awesome. I love him, and he's adorable. <laughs> he's such a good-looking guy too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, he's precious. Listening. I, I'm I'm so. Uh, let me tell you, I am so blessed. To meet these people. I'm so glad Nathan's listening. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Yeah, he asked me to uh let you know and so um yeah, I just uh, wanted to keep, you know, keep to my promise and uh wanted to let you know that, you know, he's listening and uh we all we all love you and uh Oh, thank you. I love all of you guys. You know, <laughs> you have made my life worth living because I never had a reason ever to be on this planet, I thought. I was so depressed growing up and and so forth, and I never knew the kind of love. But since I have met so many of you guys who are starseeds on this planet, many of you are hybrids. And let me tell you, I it's made it worth being on this planet now because it's like I've got my family here. So I love you all so much, and I thank mm. you so much for bringing meaning into my life. Yes, you are so welcome from my heart. Um, I couldn't ask for you know anything greater. You are just so full of love and so full of light, and you have helped me personally through so much. And we only have a few minutes left, and um, if there's something that you'd like to share with all the listeners that are here now and all the listeners that will be listening, you know, in the future, if there's something that you want, you know, to to speak from from the heart, uh, please, you know, please do. Um, I would love to love to hear something uh, from your heart. Thank you. Yes, there is. Um, I just want to tell people that there's absolutely no reason to fear having contact and that if they just do what I say as far as learning to work with the light of source and to be able to express unconditional love, to love themselves and to re- and to give it freely, not just to beings 
from other worlds, but all beings, including humans. We need to learn how to love one another. If we could embrace the kind of love that I have felt and learned to have with these star people, this planet would not have all the problems it has now. We would never have war. And so the answer to happiness and the answer to all problems is unconditional love and being in the light of the source. Beautiful. And, um, you know, all these star beings, they're here amongst us now, even if we don't see them. Uh, They're working behind the scenes, um, you know, with all these different earthquakes and everything that's going on in the world right now. Um, we we know that they're here and they love us and they're helping us and um, you know I just want to personally thank them and and we know how how much you know they're doing and uh, we have uh, so much gratitude um, for for all for all their work and it's you know it's so close um, the time is so close until you know we can actually make contact and. Um, I personally am excited, and I know so many other people are all also just as excited to finally, you know, meet our star family and become a truly galactic society. I agree. What a wonderful thing that'll be. Yes. So we just have a few more minutes here, and um, I believe, uh, you know, we've we've covered so much. Um, and I just want to, again, thank you so much for being on the show, and it would be awesome if you could join us. And before you go, um, can you share with us uh, some of the places that you're going to be visiting, or if you're going to be having any conferences or events or anything like that? Well, actually, um, I don't have, I'm, I am going to be in California on April 30th. There's a little uh, gathering that uh, Jerry Yusko is um, putting together, and I just don't have it handy. I feel really bad, but if people want to visit my website, I will put that information on my website. And my website is etsculptor.com. So it's just www.etsculptor.com. Great. Thank you. Yes. Uh, I was going to say, too, if there's others that would like to have me as a speaker that have UFO groups or ET, uh, groups of people interested in this, please feel free to give me a call or email me because I would love to you know, do some speaking and see who I can help. So thank you so much. Yes, and uh, people can get your email on your website. Is that correct? Yes. Um, uh, yes, if they go to etsculptor.com, they'll... There is a place where they can contact me. Great. Well, thank you so much, Cynthia. It has been such a pleasure having you on. And from my heart, I love you so much. And thank you, thank you, thank you for everything. Thank you. Okay, dear. Um, Have a great night, and we'll talk soon. Okay, I love you too. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.